Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Sign up today and find out why nothing beats a win at the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app or go to Bet. MGM.com and enter code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Hold up. Just got a new sale. Order fulfilled and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. You can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. So hello, 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 and you're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And we're, we're back here today, myself and Chris Snead, with a wonderful returning guest, Jack O'Sullivan from the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, that's ZWAI.ie. And Jack was on with us a few times before, and the show was very successful, actually. We got a great response from it, so we thought Jack would be a great person to come in to talk a bit uh, about COP26, which just finished up there. And, and various other things. And various <laughs> other, yeah, we won't harp on all about COP. But no. how, how are you, Jack? Oh, I, I'm good. Um, yesterday was lovely and sunny. Today isn't too bad either. Sunday was nice and sunny. So it looked for a while as if the gloom and doom of November, which is never a great month, might be dissipated for a while. Hmm. And oh. a lot of small jobs, interesting work going on. I'm still working away, of course. Uh, no let up there. And, uh, of course, I followed COP26. Oh, dear. Some good things and some frustrating things about it. Yeah. A bit of drama as well. Some random kind of drama happened during the thing. A few surprises. Yeah. I wasn't really tuned in too much to the drama. I was more 
concerned with the outcome of the thing. Yeah. I suppose to be fair to it all, to get over 180 countries together around, I nearly said a table, but a series of tables, yeah. some doing. And I had some faith in it because when you think about the European Union, we have 27 countries, all different languages, uh, different cultures, different histories, and yet we always seem to get through it by dint of a long, long meetings and discussions far into the night, and it always ends up with a compromise. And people are generally reasonably happy when all these ministers of environment or ministers of energy or prime ministers all sit down together for a long session. So when you do try to do it for 180-something countries, it's much more difficult. So it's amazing anything got done at all. And yet, when you look at this, there are really only a few countries that stand out as being, as being how they put it, errant or kind of not, not really helpful. Look at Brazil, for example, burning coal and destroying the Amazon. Australia mining coal like as if there was no tomorrow. India still not doing great. And the big thing in COP26 was that the rich nations, that's United States, Europe, primarily Britain too as well, particularly, just did not wish to give more than they put, than could possibly squeeze out of them, help the 138 developing countries, which are the ones that are suffering most from climate change. And and that was very disappointing. Yeah, but that's that's actually Jack. That's we were we were kind of similar. We were we were we were we were we were following it, but not like super intently. And we were like, okay, we need to kind of wait to see what the outcome is before we really kind of weigh in on 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 what's going on. But we were quite disappointed to see what seemed to be a fairly like a, a lack of representation as far as developing countries. I know they were represented, but whether they were heard or not is another is another issue. And I mean, isn't it? true that the biggest lobbyists, the group of lobbyists that was there was from, from petrol and fossil fuel. So how is that really a level platform then if, if, if when you can't afford to go and to be represented, it's not really level, you know? It's not. And, you know, this goes back a long time. I remember when the Kyoto Agreement, oh, that must be 20 years ago, was being reported by the Irish Times. Uh, they had a very good reporter there at the time. And he said that the coal and steel and fossil fuel industry had a budget of 30 million American dollars to push their case. And they're still pushing their case. On the other hand, what is much stronger this time and wouldn't have been as strong 20 years ago is the global youth strike, the People's Summit, um, the groups representing indigenous people, mm -hmm representing the younger generation and they are getting very vocal and much much stronger and, and very organized as well like not just it's not just yeah. haphazard they're actually quite organized and and very they make a very good point as well it's not it's not um they know how to debate they're not just yeah. they, you know they know where what the points are and they, you can't argue with the truth like that's absolutely it and they can try though <laughs> yeah. they can try and argue the truth I think is that the climate deniers have been swept off the stage. They were yeah. always around, oh, 
three, four, five years ago, you had always some geezer would stand up somewhere and say, ah, global warming isn't really happening, or this is a natural fluctuation in the Earth's climate, and all this business about having to stop burning. But they've disappeared. I have heard nothing about them. They've been silenced in the face of facts. Yeah, that's because there's so much proof now, you know? Or it's kind of proof positive like are being updated the models are being refined we can now look much more carefully at what's happening at the earth and i suppose another good thing to come out of all this too as well is there are tens of thousands of people working worldwide in scientific associations in governments in ngos looking and measuring and recording and running models and saying there is no doubt we are going further along the road to a hotter planet and we're going faster than we thought we were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. The sad thing, of course, is that for countries like Ireland and any other EU country and, and most countries, most developed countries particularly, we should have and could have started the process of getting out of fossil fuels in 1990. That's 30 years ago. And we knew in 1990 this was coming. But the climate deniers were there, the fossil fuel lobbyists were there, and everything was kind of put back. Now we have until 2030. That's only nine years' time to really cut back to zero. And that's going to be very difficult. Whereas if we start in 1990, it would have been a gradual slope downwards. Now it's a steep hill downwards. And you still have people saying, oh, let somebody else cut down on their emissions. I won't cut down because another crowd has to do it. Or, no, we're not really causing those emissions. It's actually not us who have the cows. It's the people who eat the meat. (laughs) They should be saddled with the job of of, of dealing with those emissions. So a lot of... um, how they put it, uh, not blaming each other, but trying to wriggle out yeah. responsibilities. Yeah, that's it. That's part. That is a big part of the problem, and, and it, yeah. it is something we kind of talk about on here a lot. It's like, look, it's really not time to be standing around blaming each other. We kind of actually need solutions now. We, you know, we need buckets to bail the ship out. Yeah. <laughs> big, big bailers to bail the ship out. I remember when I had my own little boat, my favourite bailer was an old aluminium pot because it could be bent to the shape of the bottom of the boat so I could bail out the last little bit of water. Because like any old boat, she leaked. (laughs) Which reminds me, of course, the great saying by these old economists, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's one of my favorites, actually. (laughs) Shane's laughing away there because that's one of my favorite expressions. Oh, that's that's the favorite expression of people like like Reagan, you know. Oh, I'm glad that's not on the website anymore. <laughs> <laughs> See, the rising tide doesn't lift all boats. If the economy upsurges or improves, those who have money will be able to accumulate more, whereas those who don't have money won't get in on the act at all, and that's they will it. get further behind. That's so it, because it's an economic downturn. The poor get poorer. Yeah, because it's it's economics based on exploitation. Poor and the rich get richer. Yeah, yeah. 
It's 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 a model. It's a model. It's a model that ultimately is based on exploitation. Absolutely, greed and exploitation. They're the two elements, and so-called competition. And competition is okay in a certain way. You know, you can compete in a bicycle race. That's pretty good. <laughs> but when you see madness, like two modes of transport leaving Mullingar Station at half past eight in the morning, heading for Dublin, the train is full, but there's nobody on the bus. But the bus takes two hours. And I remember saying to the driver once, why not have lots of little buses coming in from places like Castle Pollard and other small towns like Kinnegad around um, Mullingar. to the train like... And meeting the train, he said, oh, no, no, we have to have the competition. So he had to sit in his bus with about one or two passengers and drive to Dublin because he had to, quotation marks, compete with the train. And then we have the stupidity of competing or people competing to collect our waste. You look in a housing estate and if you're there for long enough, you find there are three or four or five lorries from different companies all going around collecting the bins. Why not have one single vehicle run by the municipality? No, we used to private industry because they can compete and they can reduce the prices, but they don't reduce the prices. You're you are getting your bin lifted from Mr. Bin Man or A1 Waste or Molidi's Waste. It's all about the same cost because they know what each other is charging, so they're not about each other. And we will be back with more from Jack O'Sullivan, the director of the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, after these messages. Can Project's Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project made up of a group of warm-hearted volunteers that advocate that active engagement in creative and positive outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. You can contact us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and you can find our podcast on Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Audible, Apple Podcasts. We're on many of the usual podcast platforms and Twitter. And now back to the Can Projects podcast with co-host Shane McKay, Chris Sneed and special guest Jack O'Sullivan from the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland. That's www.zwai.ie. Why not have one single vehicle run by the municipality? No, we used to private industry because they can compete and they can reduce the prices, but they don't reduce the prices. You're you are getting your bin lifted from Mr. Bin Man or A1 Waste or Molidi's Waste. It's all about the same cost because they know what each other is charging. So they're yeah. not going to cut each other. They're not, yeah. going to, they're not going to raise the prices because then other people will shift companies and yeah. they can't drop the price too low because everyone else will compete with them and it's a race to the bottom. That's right, Chris. It's all about the same. And, and it's a race to the bottom in other ways because they'll charge about the same but they will, they will um, cut costs other ways. Yeah. And of course, being that's what business is. Well, that's what the way we have want business to be doing. We want business to cut costs. So uh, reduce the amount of people employed, throw a few more people off onto the dole, um, reduce your workforce, find a few nice corners you can cut and away with it. That's grand. You can... Mm-hmm quotation marks, make, unquote, loads of money, except you don't actually 
make money. Nobody makes money except counterfeiters and central banks. Mm. Everyone else accumulates money by finding a way to take it from another person or persons. And did you ever watch these things on, on TV where there's a wonderful competition and you get there's maybe a um, 5,000 euro shopping spree prize and you realize the company that is running it charges two euro for every phone call. Yeah. And if 10,000 people ring in with their answer to the question, like, um, what's the name of the late, late show? <laughs> yeah. That company gets 20,000. Mm. They do tend to make the questions fairly yeah. easy so that everyone will enter. Exactly, Chris. That's exactly it. And you don't look at the little at the uh, small print at the bottom, which says this phone, every time you phone them, it's going to cost with your answer, it'll cost you two euro. Mm. So they probably pay a few cents to the phone company, but they're probably collecting about one euro fifty for every person that calls. And if 10,000 call in, that's 15,000 into their pocket. Mm. So, you know, there, there are numerous ways of finding ways of relieving us from our hard earned cash. And the difficulty is that we rather uh, look up to people like that. We should shove them in jail. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's glorified. It's like violence, the way violence is glorified on television. So is this idea of being rich and, and, and having all these f fancy things that like that's that's the goal, you know, that's 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 what we should be aiming for. When it's when, if, it mean, if that means leaving people behind, then it, it's. It just seems very wrong to be pushing ideas like that. And a lot of us are to blame for it because, you know, when, when we can't really blame ourselves, mm -hmm. when you look at um, programs like the 10 richest men in Ireland or the 50 richest people in Ireland, and people are, I've no doubt, glued to their television sets watching that kind of shite, you'll excuse me. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have the least interest in, in, in it except to figure out Okay, if 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 um, uh, Sean gets rich or or, or Florig gets rich, how do they do it? Do they do it fairly? Okay, if, if they have a good product and people rush out to buy it, that's all right. On the other hand, if they do it by, as Fintan O'Toole pointed out in the Irish Times about a year ago, they get a license to take and use some common property, like a section or a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum and they get that nice and cheaply thanks to their link with a minister in power at the time and they using that common resource it's a common resource like the air like the ocean and they now uh, set up a phone company and they've suddenly become billionaires or they set up a phone company and they sell it to another crowd for billionaires. So we're selling off a lot of our stuff. Yeah. We sold off our board gosh Aaron. We sold off the oil tanks at Whitty Island. They were useful. They were they weren't exactly the well, they were what's left over after. We're still on that is a natural resource though, it shouldn't have been privatized. That's well this problem here is 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 that way back in the nineteen eighties a group of economists in the United States came out with this viewpoint. We now call it neoliberalism. And their message was very simple. Remove the restraints on um, industry. Industry will function better 
if you slim down government and industry will therefore pay less taxes, will become more profitable, will reinvest their money and will have a better life. And Reagan took that up very strongly. He said, you know, any taxation by government, any government is a burden on industry. So let's let's um, slim down, turn the prisons over to private companies, let private companies run hospitals, schools, transport, everything. And of course, the industrialists, the people who had a lot of money at their disposal, loved that because they could see that they could buy up very cheaply. And this happened in Russia too, by the way. Vast, vast slices of what government, government would normally do and buy it up cheaply. And of course, the closer they were to some government minister, the better they did. And they could now run that at a very large profit or better still, flip it over and sell it to somebody else and make a huge amount of money that way. And so we now have a situation where in Ireland, the government has lost control of the waste industry, and that's stated in a government, government publication. So how can we recycle and how can we encourage people to reuse, uh, sort out our waste? Most people just say, oh, it's all going to the same place. It's going to a big materials recovery facility, and off it goes to be burned in an incinerator. Why should we bother? So government has lost the trust of the people. It's handed over a lot of the activities which should be, uh, which should be under the control of the local municipality. It's handed them over to companies. And you get a situation such as when I remember Enda Kenny was asked in the Doyle about three or four years ago or whenever. There was an, an, a director of, I think, AIB was paid about a million a year in salary. And he was asked, look, the government owns 97.5% of Allied Irish Bank. You can tell the bank not to pay these exorbitant salaries. And his words are, it's a private company, I can do nothing about it. Which is code words for, I would not like to do anything about yeah. it. Yeah. really want to do is make <laughs> profitable. Or, or more strongly, we're too afraid to do anything about it. Decisions made, Chris, out of fear, and I've seen this in Westmead at a local level. Decisions made out of fear are not not good, good decisions. And the decisions made out of a, a time of lack of information. And to contrast that, I think some of the best decision-making we had, the best recommendations, came out of the Citizens' Assembly, which reported on several very important issues. And... That assembly was 100 people chosen at random to represent a good cross-section of the Irish population, matched by gender, by uh, social status, by all those things that you can imagine. And they didn't have lobbyists. No politicians were allowed in, no lobbyists. But they got um, good, steady information from people who were experts in their field. And they came out with very, very good decisions, including one on climate change. They reported very well on climate change. And it caught the government on the hop because basically what the Citizens' Assembly came out with was what most people actually agreed with. It's just government being lobbied furiously by the cement industry and by 
all the other industries were saying, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't have to do anything about climate change. Look, that's 50 years' time. That's common that. sense, though, isn't it? It's just like common sense. To... Uh, but it's common sense, uh, Shane, it is. But how common is common sense? Yeah, that's it's the one of the rarest senses as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it sure is. Cause, yeah. I mean, if I read the news of the world or the mirror or uh, those newspapers, where does my common sense go if I read them long enough? It disappears completely. Like, oh, don't get me started on the tabloids. <laughs> oh, I just yeah, I just I just got the heebie-jeebies when when you mentioned those. Oh, yeah. the, the, only, the only tabloid I ever really read was the Weekly World News, and that was because it was blatantly like absurd. Yeah, yeah. the Mars absurd, but there are people who believe. Hmm. Oh well, you know the Weekly World News was all aliens, and you know oh, it was it was super <laughs> absurd. You know, tennis playing robot kills woman. Like <laughs> when there's such good information, around, the village is a good journal in Ireland, and so is there's a few of them on on in the internet, which are excellent. Jack, so I'd, a, I'd love information, but the problem is, and this is where you, if you go back about say 40, 50 years. The problem faced by anyone doing research is how to get information, how to find it, uh, dig it out of some place with no internet. Now the problem really, and it's not a big problem, is how do you make sense out of all the information that's supposed to be around? And how do you decide which information is real and which is just... Exactly, Chris. What you know? information is real and what information is, is there because somebody's paid. And it's not, uh, you know, sometimes even what seems good is wrong. I remember doing a report years ago for a group who wanted me to do a report on fracking. Now, I have read a, lo a lot about fracking, and I didn't think it was a very, very good thing. But these, this particular set of clients said, oh, you must look at what the universities are doing, peer-reviewed journals. So we saw quite a few papers coming out of a university in Texas, and they seemed to be, you know, quite uh, okay about fracking. They didn't seem to think it was that bad. And that is the first part of the discussion with Jack O'Sullivan. We look forward to the second part in the coming weeks. Thanks so much to Jack from the Zero Waste Alliance Ireland for coming on to discuss COP26 and our views and opinions on how that played out. And you can find Jack O'Sullivan at www.zwai.ie. And if you'd like to contact us, you can do so at the email address canprojects.info at gmail.com and if you'd like to find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, things like that, we could really do with the support. So please subscribe or send us a message, get in touch. We are an outreach project and if you can, please help each other help us all.